Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. Liz Truss, you know, the former British Prime Minister, she made a political decision that will chase her now for the rest of her life. Listen, you have to be living under a rock to not hear in the news because everybody in the world is talking about the fact that in six weeks, as the British Prime Minister, she announced her resignation on Thursday. This is the shortest period of political power at that level in history. And the people were sitting back and trying to figure out what just happened. How could somebody implode that quickly? How could it go downhill that fast? In fact, headlines all over the world are talking about Liz Truss and her economic policy. Because this decision really is the reason why she resigned. Because of this decision, the British pound fell to its lowest level. It actually was in free fall to its lowest level in decades against the rest of the world's currencies. What people who understand global economy said is, you know what, actually her decisions weren't really that bad. It was just the wrong time. It was the wrong decision at the wrong time. If she would have attempted this at a different time, when the world wasn't at the edge of a global recession, when there wasn't record inflation in parts of the world, when there wasn't supply chain problems, if she would have attempted this at a different time, it would have worked. If she would have tried a different policy right now, she would probably be viewed as a political superstar. But this decision will now go to haunt Liz for the rest of her life. I don't know if she's ever going to show up in the history books. If she does, it will probably just be a footnote. But you got to think that if her name is ever recorded in the history books, what it's going to say in parentheses next to her name is six weeks in office and she resigned. And I want you to learn a lesson today. It's not a lesson from Liz Truss. It's actually a person that we read about in the Bible, a very powerful political leader, a guy by the name of Pontius Pilate, who is Caesar's representative in Jerusalem when a trial goes down. And if you were with us last week, this is part two of Jesus's trial before the Roman authorities. And the guy who's on the on the judgment seat and making the decision today is a guy by the name of Pontius Pilate. There's a lot you can learn from Pilate. There's a lot you can learn from Liz Truss. There's actually something that I want you to learn, and I hope you'll carry this with you for the rest of your life. You can make a hundred good decisions, but one bad decision, one bad choice can chase you for the rest of your life. And that choice of economic policy that Liz Truss made It's going to be the thing that people, she may have done a hundred great things in her life, but this is the thing she's going to be known for forever. Pilate's name is associated with the decision that he makes today, 2,000 years later. And let's just be honest, y'all. Every day you get up and you make decisions. Some of those decisions are very easy, very simple. Some of them are really hard. All of them carry consequences. Do I hit the snooze button one more time and end up late to work? Because I might get fired. 
Do I eat the wrong thing for breakfast week in and year out and pretty soon die of heart disease because of the food that I was eating? Those are really simple decisions, but they can affect you for the rest of your life. So before we get into the story of Pilate and Jesus today, let me just give you the good news. Liz Truss, because of British law, even though she only served for six weeks, she will now inherit a $130,000 retirement fund every year in U.S. dollars uh, category. She will get $130,000 for the rest of her life for just six weeks worth of work. So if you see Liz Truss on the beach with a drink that has a little umbrella in it, just chilling out for the rest of her life for six weeks worth of work, it's because she retired or she resigned having served as a British prime minister which is still pretty bad, but I mean, I guess there's a silver lining to this cloud, right? We're going to talk about Pilate today. We're going to talk about you today. And we're going to see what happens when you have to make a choice, Pilate has to make a choice about King Jesus. And if you've been with our church for a week or two, we call him King Jesus on purpose because he really is supposed to be calling the shots in your life. So we're going to be in John chapter 19 today, and the first thing that I want you to hear before we even open up the scriptures is I want you to remember that choices have consequences. Hit the snooze button too many times, you might lose your job. Eat the wrong meal and the wrong kinds of food, it may cost you your life, literally because of some diseases that go along with what you eat. And sometimes the choices are really, really hard because you feel like you have to choose between bad and worse. That's where Pilate finds himself today. We're going to start reading. This is version, or this is the sequel to last Sunday. So we're going to pick up where we left off. We're going to be in John chapter 19, and we're going to start reading at verse 1. And this conversation between Jesus, Pontius Pilate, and the Jewish priests and pastors of the day. Here's how the Bible picks up for us. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Now, I need to stop for a second because I was thinking about it this week. There's really nothing on planet Earth, not in Asia, not on, in Africa, Australia, in the Americas, that adequately represents what that word says. When it says flog, it is a brutal beating to the point that you're hanging on to life by a thread. And if you're not familiar with what Roman flogging was like, you really need to go back and watch the movie The Passion of the Christ. Because in that very graphic scene, that movie really should be X-rated for violence. In that graphic scene, it describes what that one word, flogged, means that we don't have any concept about in our day and age. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and clothed him in a purple robe. And they kept coming to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And were slapping his face. Pilate went outside again. And he said to them, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no grounds for charging him. Would you say the word charge? I told you last week, that's a political and a, a judicial phrase. And in the original language, what he's saying is, this man is innocent. I find no grounds for charging him. And then Jesus came out 
wearing a crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to him, or said to them, here's the man. Here's the man that is so dangerous, you guys wanted him dead so bad that you're going to violate all of your laws and all of your traditions to make this thing happen. Now, at this point in the story, Jesus has preached some very unpopular messages against the Jewish priests and and, uh, pastors. And he's basically said, you're doing church all wrong. And the way that you're doing church, not only does it not represent God, but it dishonors him. They're so angry that they want this man dead and they want him dead immediately. And they break all kinds of laws. We'll see this in just a second. To get Jesus in front of Pilate today because this is supposed to be a holy day, a sacred day. We don't kill people on Passover. And that's when the priests bring Jesus to Pilate. The first time that they show up with Jesus, Pilate says, hey, what's this guy done? And they don't even answer his question. They just say, hey, if he wasn't a criminal, we wouldn't have brought him. Pilate tries to get Jesus off the hook. Maybe he knows that this is a sham. Maybe he doesn't. Last week, I tended to think, if I was reading the Bible for the first time, maybe Pilate doesn't really even care about this guy, Jesus. But then again, maybe he does. At this point, the crowds are getting bigger. At this point, the threat becomes greater to the peace and stability in Jerusalem. And the Jews, the Jewish leaders, the priests and the pastors want this man, Jesus, dead so bad that Pilate decides, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take him out and I'm going to beat him privately. And I'm going to beat him really bad privately. And then of course the Jewish or the Roman soldiers are really good at this kind of torture. And their hearts are so callous that they not only beat him, but they mock him. Look, we use the name king on purpose because he really is the king of all kings, the one who commands the universe and who should be calling the shots in our life. But they use this title against Jesus. I could spend hours describing the crown of thorns. I could describe the beating that he took. Just in verse 3 alone, the torture is more than most of the strong men in this room could bear up against. But Jesus handles it. And not only do they beat him privately, but they disgrace him publicly. When he comes out with that robe and that crown on him, it is sheer mockery. They're making light of the claim to be king of the Jews. Guys, when I was a sergeant in the army, when I was in the Ranger Regiment going through some of the hardest training, the most difficult days in the military, it was this passage that got me through it. Because there were days where I was just barely hanging on and I really didn't know if I had what it takes to make it through the night to be able to complete the training that I was going through. And I would think back to Jesus and think back to that man who was 100% man at the same time that he was 100% God taking this beating. And I would remind myself that he could handle the beating and he can help me handle what I'm going through. Not because I'm as tough as Jesus, because he is in me, giving me his strength to handle 
what I'm going through. And I just need you to know that if you are a child of God, he is in you giving you his strength to handle what you're going through this week, no matter how brutal, no matter how hard it gets. But I also want you to know that don't make decisions lightly. Because even some of the simple decisions, they can chase you for a long time. And some of the hardest decisions, they can stick with you for the rest of your life. And if we're honest, when it's really difficult, when the challenge like Pilate has in front of him is to choose between bad and worse, it's really not that hard to choose between good and bad. All of us can make that decision easy. It's when you have to choose between good and better or bad and worse. Sometimes it's highly tempting to take the wrong path. You see, the wrong path is almost always a little bit easier, a little bit less painful. And in the back of your mind, you know it's wrong, but you also know it's not going to hurt as bad as doing the hard right thing. The easy wrong thing is very tempting because it's easier and less painful than doing the hard right thing. Let's pick up the story now in verse 6. And see where Pilate is in this whole equation. I just want you to count for me now. If you're following along, count for me today how many times Pilate tries to get Jesus off of the hook. And by the way, I'll give you a hint. Last week, he tried two separate occasions to get Jesus released, and they didn't work. Now listen to the extent Pilate's going to go to try to release Jesus. John chapter 19, we'll pick up in verse 6. When the chief priests... And the temple servants saw Jesus. They shouted, crucify, crucify. And Pilate responded, take him and crucify him yourself, since I find no grounds for charging him. He's innocent. We have a law. These hypocrites, I'm going to add that word in there. The Bible really should put it in there, but I'm going to add it in there. We have a law, these hypocrites replied to Pilate. And according to that law, he ought to die because, here it is, here's the charge. Because he made himself, he had the audacity to declare himself to be, say what it says, uh, say what the screen says. The charge against Jesus that brings us to this moment in John chapter 19 is he claimed to be the son of God, the king of the Jews. And now we're going to kill him for that. Now, you just got to... I just need you to put yourself in Pilate's shoes for just a second. Like, if you just heard that phrase right there, whoa, stuff just got real, real fast here. Because I thought this guy was just a criminal. I thought this guy had just made some mistakes. And I get it, you have some laws. But if we're talking about whether or not this guy is the king of the Jews and the son of God, stuff just got real for me. Not just for Jesus and for the priests and the crowds. It just got real for me. These hypocrites have already desecrated. They've just destroyed their own law to get to this point. Their law says you can't judge a man and pass a life sentence on, or a death sentence on him without two witnesses. You can't hold a trial like this at night. You can't do this on Passover. And they've just blown all of those things off. And now they're going to try to hide behind their law. That's why I'm calling them hypocrites. Because they're going to try to hide behind their law. And they're going to say, hey, we don't have the authority to kill this man by crucifying him. Which, by the way, is the worst form of death ever imaginable. Like nothing else out there in human history. The guillotine is quick. This is going to hurt for a long time. We have a law and it doesn't allow us to crucify him. So Pilate, we need you to do that for us. 
And I told you last week, the problem here is Passover. You see, if you think about Easter with me for a second and the huge spiritual and theological significance of Easter, that's what Passover has. If you think about the party atmosphere that goes along with New Year's Day and New Year's Eve, that's what Passover brings with him. If you think about the family gathered together at Christmas time, that's what Passover has. It has all of those things together. And if you're a priest, you can't celebrate Passover with your family. If, you're do, if you do what these guys are doing, you can't celebrate Passover if you pass judgment and if you kill a guy or if you move his dead body on Passover. Now you're unclean. So they're hiding behind, while they're breaking their own law, they're hiding behind their law and saying, Pilate, we need you to kill this man because he claimed to be God's son. And our law says anybody who claims that deserves death if it's not true. Go back and read Leviticus chapter 24. And I want you to put yourself in Pilate's shoes right now and think, what do you do next? Because now the charge is, not only did he claim to be king of the Jews, he claimed to be uh, the son of God. The toughest decisions of your life, they're usually not that hard to figure out. What makes those decisions so hard is the consequences that go along with what you decide. Like if I do this and I know it's the right thing to do, it's gonna hurt really, really bad. And if I do this, it's not gonna hurt as bad, but in, in my mind, I know it's not the right thing to do. And what makes the decision so tough is the consequence, the pain that goes along with the consequence. Listen, the truth is Jesus is at a point right now where he can get out of this trial if he wants to by declaring the truth. And life would be much easier for him. But he doesn't. Pilate has a hard decision to make. These religious leaders have a hard decision to make. And so do you. And this week, when you have a hard choice to make and you know that doing the right thing is going to hurt, I need to remind all of us or something. I need to be reminded of this too. In light of eternity, if you really believe there is a God in heaven waiting for you and you're going to spend an eternity with him, you can never, ever go wrong making the decision that honors him. Did you hear what I said? If you really, really believe in heaven, if you really believe you're going to spend eternity with your father in heaven, you will never go wrong here on earth, no matter how painful the consequences are. If you make the decision here, to honor him. Pilate has a decision to make. The Jews have a decision to make. Jesus has a decision to make today. And this decision carries eternal consequences. I'm, I'm not being uh, light here because Jesus is going to tell him that this is there are eternal consequences on the line. And if you've ever heard the statement, when you're really wrestling with a hard decision and you're not exactly sure what to, go, what to do next, if you've ever had a friend or a counselor tell you, well, what does your heart say? Just follow your heart. Anybody ever heard that one? Don't do that. That could be wrong. It could be really, really wrong. In fact, I'll prove to you from the Bible that following your heart could be catastrophic because the natural reaction is, I don't know which way to go. I'm just going to follow my heart. And following your heart can make the decision wrong and make the consequences hurt really, really bad. 
Pilate has to listen to his heart and decide about Jesus. Now let's start at verse 8. When Pilate heard the statement that he claimed to be the Son of God, you would too. Pilate was more afraid than ever. He's already in a bad situation. He's already trying to get himself out of this trial. And now he hears this guy not only claims to be the king of Jews, but he claims to be the son of God. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. So Pilate goes away with Jesus. He went back into the headquarters and he asked Jesus, where do you come from? If you're actually the son of God, uh, we should be able to figure out whether or not that's legit, whether you really are the son of God. So where do you come from? And Jesus can get himself off the hook right here if he wants to. But he keeps his mouth shut. And Jesus didn't give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Would you say the word authority out loud? Authority, authority and responsibility is what the Bible says next. In fact, almost everything about my theology on leadership comes from this next verse. You would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered him, if it, haven't, if it hadn't been given to you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. That phrase, greater sin, ought to make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. You see, Jesus is talking about authority and responsibility, and I need to explain Pontius Pilate's position for just a second, because at this point, Pilate is the representative for Caesar, for the emperor Caesar in Jerusalem. He has all of the power and all of the authority that Caesar has over this Roman-controlled territory. Which means whatever Pilate decides next is law, and there's not a human being on the planet except for Caesar in Rome that can undo what Pilate decides to do next. Pilate is declaring, I have this kind of authority, and my authority comes from where? Rome. It comes from Caesar. And Jesus is like, hold on just a second, man. I think you missed it. Your authority doesn't come from Rome. Your authority comes from heaven. Jesus is saying, oh, no, you do have some authority here. You have a decision to make. And by the way, this decision carries consequences. But I just need you to understand, that authority doesn't come from Caesar. That authority comes from God. Way back in the Garden of Eden, the motion, the, the dominoes began to fall, which would lead to this event. And when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's saying, Father, I don't want to go through this. God, would you make this go away? God, you have the ultimate authority to stop this trial and prevent my death. But not my will, your will be done. And Jesus is saying, Pilate, it's actually not your call. It's actually my Father's call. And I'm just following through with my Father's will. But Pilate, I need you to understand something. The sin that you are about to commit is not as bad as the sin of these priests and pastors. Their sin is worse. 
because they've lied and schemed and manipulated the truth. Capital T, the truth is a person. His name is Jesus. I am the truth. They've lied, they've schemed, they've manipulated the truth to get us to this point. And Pilate, what you do next is wrong, but it's not as wrong as what they're doing right now. And I just want to ask you at this point, like, can we just be honest for a second? Let's say you were reading the Bible for the first time. I think you got to ask the question. Pilate is listening to Jesus, and he's listening to these priests and pastors, and both of them can't be right. Because what I'm hearing from this brother and what I'm hearing from them are two totally opposite things. So I want to ask you, does Pilate believe the priest right now, or does he believe King Jesus? Who do you think he really believes is telling the truth at this point? Because Pilate's got some skin in the game now. You see, Pilate's job is not only to represent Caesar, but his job is also to keep the peace. And now there's a crowd forming. And this crowd is getting agitated. And it looks like there's a riot that's about to break out. And if I let a riot start, and if it gets out of control, do you know what happens to Pilate when Caesar calls him back to Rome? Pilate's going to lose his head for this. So Pilate knows, I got a lot on the line on getting this one right. If I listen to Jesus and turn him back over to the crowds, a riot might break out. If I listen to these religious leaders, I may kill an innocent man. Not only an innocent man, but a guy who claims to be king of the Jews and the son of God. And now I got some skin in the game. And this ain't easy. Because whatever I do next, looks like I have to choose between bad and worse. And Pilate's stuck in the middle. And I want to show you what happens next because I'm convinced he's doing everything within his power. I'll release Barabbas to you. I tell you what, I'll just beat him to a pulp and get this guy out of your hair because nobody, I'll beat him, I'll disgrace him. Nobody would show back up in the temple tomorrow and preach the same message after they just got this kind of treatment. Look, I'll do whatever I got to do to let this guy off the hook. And the crowds won't hear it. The priests and the pastors won't hear it. And Pilate is now squirming. And then he gets back to into a corner. And he has no good way out. And if you're not careful, and you have a hard choice to make, you'll start to listen to the many voices around you. Listen, people will listen to the stupid, I don't have another word for this, just the stupidest voices. They'll turn to astronomy. They'll listen to the advice columnists on the internet. But oftentimes what they'll do is they'll talk to a whole bunch of people and just weigh a whole lot of people's advice. And if you're not careful, you'll have a whole lot of people giving you the wrong advice. Because there's a whole lot of people now that are telling Pilate what to do next, and they're all giving Pilate the wrong advice. And the crowds will deceive you. They will cause you to make the wrong choice if you're not careful. Here's how the exchange between Pilate and Jesus ends. And something weird happens here. Up to this point, I'm just going to give you the answer. Five times in the Bible, Pilate has used every approach at his disposal to get this innocent man off the hook and to release Jesus. But now he's backed into a corner. He has no way out. And Pilate makes a bad decision that 2,000 years later, we're still talking about. Listen to this. From that moment, Pilate kept trying to release him. 
But the Jews shouted, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king, like Jesus did, opposes Caesar. I have to stop for a second because there is a very technical term on the screen. In the Latin of Pilate's day, that term, Caesar's friend, is the words amici Caesaris. It's a technical phrase that refers to the government leaders, the elites of society that have publicly declared loyalty to Caesar. You said, I am a friend of Caesar in public, and that phrase means I'm loyal to Caesar above everyone and everything else. And the Jews just said, hold on just a second. We're not going to let you release Jesus. We're not going to let him off the hook. If you release him, got him at this point, and they know it, you are not Amici Cesari. You're not Caesar's friend. Because Jesus just claimed to be a king. And Caesar doesn't recognize King Jesus. So if you declare Jesus is innocent, you're going against Caesar. And that's the moment that Pilate's caught in a trap and there's no way out. I don't know the rest of that Elvis song or else I'd give you the next lyrics for it. And so here's what happens next. Look at what the screen says. When Pilate heard that Latin phrase, Amici Cesari, he brought Jesus outside. Wait, let me go back. He brought Jesus outside. He sat down like in a courtroom when the judge sits down at the bench and declares an official verdict. He sat down on the judge's seat in a place called the Stone Pavement. But in the Aramaic language of Jesus' day, it was called Gabbatha. It was the preparation day for the Passover, and it was about noon. John doesn't want you to miss any of the details here. And then he told the Jews, Here is your king. And they shouted, Take him away! Take him away! Crucify him! And then Pilate said to them, One last, tra- one last chance. Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? And they got him backed into a corner, and they know they've got Pilate into a corner. Now, we have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. And then he, Pilate, handed him, Jesus, over to be crucified. Pilate made the decision that for the next 2,000 years, for the rest of human history, people are going to talk about And then they took Jesus away. And what we read about next in this story is the brutal death that Jesus goes through. This is the last chance for Jesus to survive and Jesus to go home alive. The they in this passage when Pilate brings Jesus out and and they shout out, crucify him, crucify him. We don't want him as our king. We want him dead The Bible scholars wrestle about who is this they. If you were to watch the movies, like the old movies or some of the newer movies that came out, when that crowd is standing outside and Pilate sits down to try to release Jesus, try to get him off of the hook, some movies make it look like it's the priest and the the pastors that are screaming, crucify him. We want this guy out of our hair. 
Some movies make it look like it's the crowd that's screaming. We don't want him anymore because he didn't give us the bread that we thought we were going to get. He didn't make our lives better. We thought he was going to be a king that would kick out the Romans and make everything better, and he didn't. We don't want him anymore. And Bible scholars are asking, who's really shouting for Jesus' death here? They're actually asking the question, who's at fault? Is it the people of Israel? Is it the Jewish religious leaders of Israel? If you read this story in John, John is telling you Pilate's doing everything he can to get Jesus off the hook. If you read Luke chapter 23, even the flogging was Pilate's way of trying to release Jesus, and it didn't work. And you know what some people have said about John? Some Bible scholars have said, I think John is anti-Semitic. John hates Jews. And I'm like, well, that's just stupid. John is a Jew. He's writing about Jews. And he spends the rest of his life trying to tell Jews that Jesus really was the sin of God. And you killed him. The question that you have to ask at this point is who's at fault here? Is it the Roman governor Pontius Pilate's fault? Is it the people in the crowd that's at fault? Is it the religious leaders that are at fault? And if you read the whole of the Bible, from Genesis chapter 3 to the end of the Bible, you, can come, you cannot miss the answer to the question. You know who's ultimately at fault for Jesus' death? I am. And so are you. Because here's what the Bible says way back in Genesis chapter 3. God gave Adam and Eve this paradise and said, look, you could do anything you want. I got one rule. Don't break this rule. If you break it, somebody's going to have to die. And then Adam and Eve break the one rule. And the Bible tells us, Genesis chapter 3, that that's the moment that God puts the plan in place that will eventually lead to Jesus' death. Somebody has to die for sins, which means you can't go to church enough. You can't pray enough. You can't go on a mission trip or give a whole lot of money to make your sin go away. The wages of sin is death. And God says to Adam and Eve, listen, I'm going to spare you eternal death. You're going to have a son way back in or way in the future that will rescue people from their sins. And it will be a cosmic battle in heaven. It's not just a battle in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago between the Jews, the Romans, and Jesus. This is between me and you, good and evil. And God said, my son, the son of man, the serpent, the great enemy, Satan, will strike at his heel and he will deal a mortal blow and he will, it will cost my son his life. But he's not only the son of man, he's also the son of God. And that mortal blow, Jesus will turn around and he will work death backwards and he will take Satan's injury and use it to crush his head. And it's my sin. It's your sin. That is the reason why God is in heaven in charge of these events and says, I'm not going to let my son off the hook. He's going to have to die. And although he's the only pure, the only perfect man to ever walk on earth, his death is going to pay for Jeff's sins. His death is going to pay for your sins. If he walks free, then Jeff has to pay for his own sins. If he goes free, you have to pay the penalty of death for your own sins. So Jesus keeps his mouth shut 
and he endures the greatest torture and the most painful death ever imagined in human history, a Roman crucifixion for me. It's not Pilate's fault. It's not the religious leader's fault. It's my fault and your fault that he will hang on that cross and he will ultimately freely, willingly give his life up by saying, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit and then breathe his last. And maybe somebody in this room has tried to get to heaven by being a good boy or a good girl. And maybe what you're realizing for the first time is if that were possible, then Jesus' death is unnecessary. Now, I need a change at the heart level. I need God to work a miracle inside of me. And in just a second, I'm going to pray that God would do the greatest miracle of all times. He would take a dead heart and make it alive for the first time. And maybe that's for you. But for everybody else in this room, would you listen to me for just a second? Would you look up here for a second? What I've tried to do today is strip away every resource that you have when you have to make a tough decision. Like you can't trust the internet and you can't listen to the crowds and you can't even trust your own heart because it might deceive you. Jeremiah chapter 7 says it this way. They did evil in the sight of God instead of following his word because they followed their own evil heart. And what I'm trying to tell you is when you get to this point and you've got nothing else to look to, where you turn next is really what you worship. Maybe it's the crowd of public opinion. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's something else. Where you turn to when the decisions are this hard, that's what you worship. See, what Pilate decided is, I'm not going to lose my head over this guy. So I'm going to pronounce judgment on him. And even if I kill an innocent man, it will spare my life. Better that I live and he die than he lives and I have to go back to Caesar and I die for it. And when there's that much writing on the line, what you decide next really is all about what you worship. So what I'm trying to convince you on the last item on the screen is there's really only one place that God's people can turn next. And that is to the spirit of the living God. That is turning to Jesus and saying, I need his help to make some pure and honest decisions this week. Because if I follow my heart or follow the crowds, I'm going to make the wrong decision. And that decision may stick with me for the next 2,000 years or 10,000 years. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.